Welcome. The earlier service, I forgot to welcome the church online, but we have a lot of folks in the room today. Uh, it's amazing. Not that long ago, uh, we were spread out with little white uh, wrappings on the top of uh, seats and very, very sparse because of the, well, you know what because of. Uh, as Tiffany said, uh, this coming week we turn uh, to September, and every year we celebrate that as our anniversary because uh, 39 years ago uh, we started um, in Washington, D.C., and we had our first ever meeting in September. And uh, my bishop, your pastor, Brett Fuller, asked me to share this message today to kick off our anniversary and so I'm going to do that. 39 years is a long time. Uh, I was actually serving at that time as the founding pastor. We didn't call me this, the founding pastor back then, by the way. I was just a pastor, and we were hoping to get something off the ground. Pastor Brett was not Pastor Brett. He was our campus leader. He came to town to be our campus leader, had just graduated from Indiana University, and uh, was uh, originally from Kansas, and he was going to be our campus minister at Howard University. So 39 years ago, I was, I was 10 when we started the church, if you'd like to figure out my age. I was a, a prodigy. Uh, I have a picture of Debbie and I. Um, this is Debbie and I about a year or so into the, uh, into the outreach. Uh, no, I was never that young. And only the Lord could have worked a miracle to give me that lady, uh, that beautiful lady. Um, I want to, real quickly before we uh, go in, I want to, I, did I introduce myself? I'm Mark. I'm uh, one of the pastors on staff. Uh, I pastor the Enduring Engaging Adults, and a lot of people are still trying to figure out what that means. Uh, well, it refers to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, that we are called, each of us are called to run our race with endurance, regardless of age. Uh, we're going to run and we want to break the tape uh, at the finish line with momentum. Amen? So if you're kind of wobbly and kind of going off the course this morning, kind of pick yourself up and uh, get back in the race. Amen? Uh, the only way to lose is to quit. And then secondly, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we're called to engage with God through the spirit and power, excuse me, the spirit and the word uh, at every level, at all times in our life, regardless of our age. And we're called to interact with people on every level and every kind of person. Amen. So that's what it's about right there. I want to acknowledge um, my support group that's down here in the third row. And in addition to my dear family, uh, we have... Um, Randy and Penny Evans, who are dear, dear, dear friends and uh, are with us today. And Randy served faithfully and is still serving faithfully in the church that I pastored in Stafford, Virginia, as an elder. And uh, I just really appreciate them coming today. So, so good to see you guys. Now, 39 years uh, means that we're on the verge uh, when we're starting our 40th year. Um, and in the Bible, 40 years represented a generational cycle. Uh, and just as when Israel was poised to go into the promised land after 40 years in the wilderness, there were some of the original generation still around, men like Joshua and Caleb, and I assume that there were others as well. And today, there's some of us still around. 
Uh, JC's been here a long time, not as long as me. I don't want to put him in my age category, but um, uh, there's, there's a few that have uh, been around for quite a while. And uh, so just like uh, back then, us oldsters are going to walk with uh, the new generation and uh, to, to identify with uh, the youngsters that are coming up behind uh, me, and I'm trying to relate to them, and to honor Pastor Tellus, especially Pastor A.J., Pastor Corey, I am today rocking my <laughs> lovely light gray trimmed in orange kicks <laughs> or sneakers. Now, I do draw the line with bare ankles and short jeans. So, you 70-somethings, I'm hanging with you. I'm still with you. I'm not totally. I haven't abandoned you. I'm not ashamed of my ankles, um, but I don't bear them in public. <laughs> okay, enough of my foolishness. Please turn to Psalm 78. Are you ready for God's Word? Amen. Hallelujah. Psalm 78, verses 2 through 7. I started out with many more verses, had to keep cutting it down. Psalm 78, verses 2 through 7, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Let's pray. Father, help us as we look into your word. And as we remember what you've done in the past, amen. My earliest recollection associated with Grace Covenant Church is from a Thursday afternoon, April the 29th, 1982. Some of you, for some of you, that's prehistoric. Um, and I was walking across the east side of the Capitol. I was in Washington, D.C. Debbie and I were living in Columbia, South Carolina at the time, and I was in Washington, D.C. for a leadership conference, and I was walking across the east side of the Capitol, having just visited my district congressman from South Carolina. Some of us had decided to spend an afternoon during a conference break to meet with some of our elected officials and tell them we were praying for them and to tell them a few other things. And uh, So anyway, that had gone successfully. They'd actually taken me down to a hallway where he was having a meeting and got him out of the meeting to talk to me. It was quite interesting. But I heard my name called, and I looked up, and Bob and his wife Rose were out there. He led our ministry at that time. And uh, so I, I went over, and he said, how's it going? And I said, it's going well. And he said, uh, well, what is God saying to you? Now, I knew Bob well enough to know that that meant he felt God was saying something to him. So I said, well, Bob, I'm not sure, but it's obviously there's something you feel. And he said, you know, since we've been in town, a number of the leaders have come to me and we've talked and we believe we need to start a church in Washington, D.C. We need to reach out to the campuses and we need to 
Um, we need to, I just now looked up at the clock, um, we need to, and my mind went blank. <laughs> we need to reach out to the staffers on Capitol Hill, and we believe that you should lead it. To which I replied, I'll finish that story in a few minutes. <laughs> First, a few things about this psalm we just read. It was written by Asaph, who was a musician, singer, leader of temple worship in Old Testament Israel. And in, the, in these verses, he really explains. It's a very long psalm, but he explains his purpose in the psalm. And he shows us how the generations are called by God to work together. So when Pastor Brett and others talk about passing the baton to the next generation, don't get frustrated because it's natural and it's what God has ordained. The preceding generation's responsibility is to keep this, to stay in the game, to keep walking by faith. And you have a lot of opportunities to, to get out of the game if you, as you go on through life. But stay in the game, keep living, keep preaching, keep teaching the faith. The succeeding generation's responsibility is to hear them, to listen, to not forget, and to keep God's commandments. That word there, forget, is not uh, referring to the inability to recollect historic events. Israel remembered the Red Sea. They remembered Egypt. They remembered their deliverance. You remember your deliverance, right? But we can begin to live as though that is irrelevant, as if it doesn't matter. And that's what, people, that's what many in Israel did in the wilderness. And uh, he talks about that in some of the other verses. So it's possible to attend church, make professions, and yet, quote, forget God. Generation to generation and also individually. A generational handoff is very much like a relay race. Team, the men's Team USA... 4x400 four relay team won gold this year. I didn't watch the Olympics this year, but um, I did read that. And in a relay race, it's very simple. In the 4x, you have four members of each team. And uh, each runner runs by themselves. They carry what's called a baton. And it's just a tube. And as they, run their, they run their race by themselves against the other team's individual runners. And when they get to this designated area, they, uh, the, new, the next runner is there and begins to run along with them. And for a, a, a bit, they're running uh, together. And then the preceding runner holds out the baton. You know it. You've seen this before, haven't you? And the one who's receiving the baton, it's his or her responsibility to take it and then to pull it out of the hand so that they don't drop the, the baton. It's very important that both do their, their job. Do you see the parallels here? You see, and some of you are concerned, and uh, some of us older, it's like we're being left behind. Listen, we're in the race until the end. We're running. Some of us are not, we're still running like this. Some of us are like this. And so you younger generation, it's important for you to, to start getting stride, to, to run along with the, pa the, the Pastor Bretts, the Pastor Tellises and Garrisons and uh, AJs and all these young people who, you know, when I first got here, I thought, oh, my goodness, I've made a mistake. I, I don't have the energy to keep up. <laughs> what have I done? I should have just, you know, 
done something different. <laughs> Scary. Uh, I've described our call to Washington in a rather negative way. It was an interruption. It was inconvenient. It was impractical. It gets worse. It was impossible. But it was incredible. Let's look at interruption. It was an interruption. In 1982, Debbie and I were living in Columbia, South Carolina. We decided it would be a good place to raise our kids. Uh, we had founded a church there two years earlier. I'd asked my parents to consider moving nearby. We'd been married less than five years. We, we had started two new churches in that time frame in two different cities. We'd moved four times. We had two babies, or Debbie had two babies. And she was three months pregnant. Um, I could teach a seminar on how not to be a husband for the first six years of your marriage. So what belief or what beliefs gave us the grace to overcome interruption? One word, lordship. Lordship. We heard this a lot back then. We'd been taught and we believed that Jesus Christ is Lord over all things. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching his great sermon that birthed the church, he said this, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. There was an election. There was one vote. And God made Jesus Christ Lord over all things. Jesus had said in uh, Luke 6, Why do you call me, same word, Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Because a Lord is a Lord. That word translated Lord is kurios. And the great Greek scholar, Dr. James Strong, defines it as He to whom a person or thing belongs. The owner one who has control of the person, the master. In the state, the sovereign, the emperor, the chief, the prince, the king. That is biblical lordship. And it's, the, it's precisely how we viewed Jesus Christ at that time. So when we were interrupted with this challenge, Deb and I considered that as our Lord, Jesus Christ had the right <clears throat> to interrupt us as he wished. Amen? That we live according to his pleasure, not ours. Secondly, it was inconvenient. And I want to qualify inconvenient by American standards. It was inconvenient. Um, you know, American standards. You know, I'm suffering for Jesus. I'm driving a Lexus instead of a BMW or a uh, Mercedes. <laughs> So all of this, everything that, you, that sounds like Mark may have sacrificed something, it has to be qualified because we have brothers and sisters, dear brothers and sisters, around the world right now. They're not living in America Disney World. They are living where they are being killed and imprisoned uh, or in places like Pakistan where they are the lowest class because they can't get a good job. They're treated so badly. I know a pastor there, and they are treated so badly they get the worst absolute jobs brothers and sisters all over Pakistan. And that's just one country. So, but in Colombia, 
Uh, we had only been living in our rented house at this time six months. And uh, we had moved there, like I said, two years earlier, and we'd bought a home, but we had decided we were too far from the campus, so we had moved six months prior, and we were living in a rented house. Uh, we didn't have a trained leader to take my place. The timeline that was given to us from April uh, was to be there by like August or September and to start in the fall, but, well, really before September to start in the fall when the campus is open. So we had like four months. And I do want to assure you, unlike that and unlike back then, the, the leaders, the pastors and elders and leaders of this church are extremely careful and they give amazing timelines and preparation. But we weren't, that wasn't going on back then, not so much. But listen to this, no matter the care, no matter how careful leadership is, no matter how much of a ramp up time, if God calls you, if God calls you to plant a church or to go in, into mission or, or to do something to help us reach this city, it will be inconvenient. Remember David who insisted on pain for the, uh, the uh, threshing floor. He said, I will not sacrifice something to God that I did not pay for. God lets us pay sometimes because the sacrifice is important. So how did we overcome our convenience, inconvenience? The cross. Peter wrote about Jesus' cross. He said, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like a lamb without blemish or spot. The precious blood of Christ. We need to view inconvenience in light of what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. How was Christ inconvenienced for you and me? He left heaven to travel light years to a dark and fallen world. He took on the form of a different species and took their lowest social status. He allowed himself to be slandered and murdered and to die the worst kind of execution. And worst of all, he took into his perfect, spotless, eternal soul the crimes of all humanity and suffered broken fellowship with his father. We can't understand that. It's beyond our comprehension. But suffice it to say that Jesus Christ suffered as no one has ever suffered before. Can we be inconvenienced for him and his kingdom? Amen. Thirdly, it was impractical uh, to support the new work in D.C. Our South Carolina church was going to sacrifice. They committed to sacrifice to support us for three months. Thusly, first month, full support. That's September. October, half support. November, one-third. December, zero. Uh, Pastor Brett's uh, birthday is in December. That first birthday celebration we had, I think the only gift he got was a birthday cake from Debbie and a candy bar from Debbie and me. And I don't know if anybody else gave him anything or not, but he still remembers the, the uh, brand of candy bar it was. <laughs> we were poor, and we were poor for a long time. Now, not poor in spirit, but we had to, you know, we, we, it was a challenging, it was a challenging time. Um, in July of that uh, year, we, uh, Debbie and I drove up to D.C. 
we met uh, Eric and Rhonda Holmberg and Kiki Rayner, and we looked for housing uh, for, for a lot of the team. Most of the team were going to be living in housing, paying rent to help us pay the, for the housing, and uh, including in Debbie, where Debbie and I lived. And we'd gotten nowhere for a few days. I mean, we were hitting a brick wall. It was, it was rough. And we didn't even know where to locate. And we had an appointment uh, with Helen Car- Carey Realtor on Capitol Hill. And uh, we drove there, and it was so, it, I felt spiritual warfare. It, it was so powerful. And uh, I told Kiki, go in and tell Helen, we'll be in a few minutes, that we're going to pray. She came back, and we started praying, and I don't think she told her that. Because Helen came out and pecked on the window. The car was rocking. The windows were starting to steam. I was banging on the um, uh, dashboard. I was screaming at invisible, de- uh, an invisible demonic prince, telling him things. I wasn't being nice to him. He was telling us, other people have tried to do what you do. And he was mocking us. And I said, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're not here to try this. We're going to do it. Wow. So anyway, within an hour or two hours, we had both our rental properties. Thank God Almighty. (laughs) On the way home, we stopped at a motel. We turned out the lights. I'd signed the lease on two properties for about three grand. Now, 1982, three grand. You know, three grand is still three grand, but back then three grand was, wow. I got in bed, and what do you think I felt? Just, oh, God, it's so wonderful to do your will. It's so great to be in the kingdom. Your son has done your bidding. No. I got in bed, and I said, okay, Mark, of all the idiots in the world, I think you are in at least the top five. No, maybe even higher than that, maybe top three. I said, what have you done? You had a church. It was just getting off ground. You were just starting to get a salary. What have you done? you got to fight, guys. Do you feel like you had to fight to come to church today? Guess what? You're going to fight to go to work tomorrow. You're going to fight. to uh, The world, the flesh, the devil, they don't go to sleep. Your flesh fights you even when you're, trying to, when you're dreaming, doesn't it? Gosh. Did they ever quit? Well, let's pay, let's pay him back a little bit. Amen. Start shooting the scriptures at him. Start talking about the blood of Jesus. Amen? So how did we overcome? Well, through faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We looked at the great hall of faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, Deborah, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, and others, it says that through faith, they conquered kingdoms. They obtained promises. Uh, They were made strong in their weakness. Do you feel weak today? Get strong in faith. Feed yourself the word of God. They became mighty in battle. Praise the name of the Lord. By seeking to follow their examples, we just hauled off and did it. And somehow, by God's grace, we overcame the impractical. Fourth. It was impossible. Humanly speaking, it was impossible. You, don't, you can't talk somebody into kingdom belief. You can't talk somebody in to turning their life around and following Christ with all, willing to give up anything to follow him. We had this small team of about 14 people. Most of them didn't know one another, had never worked together. 
There was my leadership, which I wouldn't have called me. And uh, I, I wondered for years, and, you know, why did God call me? And I feel like over time he kind of communicated this to me, that I was available <laughs> and that I would work for cheap. <laughs> and that was pretty much it. He didn't have, uh, he didn't have uh, you know, the Harvard grads were going somewhere else, I guess. By the way, I did go to uh, uh, a university in Bowling Green, Kentucky. It was Western Kentucky University, which is actually the Harvard of Bowling Green. And uh, <laughs> so I have that feather in my hat. We had no credible organization we could point to. We were, we're, our, uh, our tithers were going to be students. Now, either we were crazy or we knew something. And we knew something. We believed in God's promises, power, and presence, just like Tiffany was moving in this uh, earlier. You know, that's spiritual warfare. What you saw up here was not just singing to get you in a good mood for preaching. It's spiritual warfare. You remember what Jesus said when the, they went out two by two? I saw, I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. This is what happens when we worship like this, guys. The heavens open up. Souls begin to open up, and they come to Christ. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, baby. Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said of salvation, with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. One of our mottos was not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We weren't trusting in ourselves. Paul had written, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Amen? Amen. Praise God. We believed that regardless of ethnicity, background, sins, status, I could go on and on, that everyone was a candidate for the kingdom of God. That they could become new creations in Christ. We held out the offer of eternal life, genuine transformation in this life and eternal life forever. We believed in spiritual warfare. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen, you can idolize uh, this uh, political party, that political party, the government, or you can idolize business or money or whatever you want. But there's only one thing in this world that can overcome hell. It's you. We were praying in our bedroom one night and it felt like every demonic power and the Western Hemisphere was hitting us in the head. And we were interceding. Uh, Deb and I were an absolute team because she was an amazing prophetic intercessor and pro prophetess at uh, whatever. You know, she was really, really something. And uh, so anyway, we were praying and we were interceding. And we felt like the world had fallen down on our head. Here we were trying to start a church in Washington, D.C. We were praying. I was... Fear had come upon us, and I was praying, and all of a sudden, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, Mark, you and me are a majority. One person and God are a majority. Yeah. Hallelujah. Whoa. I'd been cowering in the corner like a mouse, but now it was Mighty Mouse, you know? I had that. Do you all remember Mighty Mouse? I said that once in, uh, in Great Britain, and they said, no, what about Danger Mouse? They have a British mouse called Danger Mouse who is really cool. Mighty Mouse is a little bit, you know, square, but boy, I tell you, that mouse. 
Mouseology. <laughs> Lastly, it was incredible. It was incredible. And now we'll talk a little bit about the works of God. And, and if I had time, I could just stand here probably for an hour, tell you stories. We don't have that time. So I'm going to fin finish the story that I began earlier. I'm back on the Capitol lawn, and Bob says to me, our leaders really feel like you should come. And I've got the backdrop of South Carolina. We've just been in our home six months and all that. And so I said to Bob, I said, I'll call Deb and we'll pray. So that night when I got to my little motel, I phoned Debbie, and I told her the challenge that had been placed before me. And first of all, I'm going to tell you what she didn't say. First of all, she didn't say, Mark, how could you ask me to do such a thing? We've got two children, you know, under four. We've... We've just been here in this two years. We, we, how, could, how could you even be open to this? She didn't do that. She didn't do that. What she did say was this. Well, we'll pray and seek God's will. <laughs> hey, guys, news. If you feel called to the ministry, make sure you get you one of these. I would not be standing here. In fact, I probably wouldn't be standing at all if it wasn't for that lady right there. At the darkest time of my life, I called her from a phone booth in, in uh, Florida, and I was coming undone, and she, she started preaching to me, man. She was just preaching just like I've been preaching right here. And, I, and once again, Mighty Mouse rose up. Now... In South Carolina, uh, well, what we decided to do was she picked me up at the airport, sitter for the children. We drove straight to a motel to be away, and we, we had set aside a day or two to pray and seek God's will about Washington, D.C. We got in the hotel room. We get, began to pray. We hadn't prayed an hour, and we knew that for us the cloud had moved to Washington, D.C., Now, what we couldn't see in that moment was the incredible to come. We couldn't see that early on in that outreach, a young man broken by his own sin would walk out one evening near his inner city house, kneel down on a bridge and pray the prayer, God, I need men in my life. Within weeks, Brett Fuller, Christopher Clark, and Mark Koch were in his life discipling him. That young man has become an extraordinary, influential leader. He leads our church in northwest D.C., and he impacts the world of college sports and a lot of other worlds. His name is Donnell Jones. Amen. Hallelujah. In that little town in South Carolina, we didn't know yet about another young man who would respond to a small meeting at George Washington University where I gave an altar call, and he came forward and he needed freedom. He was under uh, the grip. And when he told me, I said, not anymore. And I grabbed him by the head. And I began to pray a very, very strong prayer quietly so nobody would hear. And man, the Spirit of God fell. A few years later, 
God paired him up with a young lady who before they had met, I'd given this prophetic word to her that she would be the mother to thousands. Today they live in South Africa where they found orphanages, David and Caroline Webb. I could go on, but one more. Finally, in that hotel, that little motel, we couldn't know that one of the young members of our startup team, fresh out of college, would grow to become a faithful pastor and raise up a great church, that he would eventually become a trusted mentor to professional sports coaches and players, to business and law enforcement leaders, and to pastors of great churches all over the world. That, of course, is your pastor, Bishop Brett Fuller. And what we couldn't see, what we couldn't see in that little hotel room was you. We couldn't see any of you. Couldn't see Tiffany. Couldn't see Michael. Couldn't see all of you that I've met since we've been back here. Uh, We've been, as uh, Israel said, as those who dream to see you. We are proud, proud, proud grandparents. We're so proud of Pastor Brett, so proud of all of you. I want to close. When he was still an atheist, C.S. Lewis was deeply impacted by the great Christian writer and thinker, G.K. Chesterton. And Chesterton uh, wrote this startling quote. If a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing badly. If a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing badly. Now, he wasn't promoting mediocrity. He was commending priority. If the house is on fire, we don't look at one another and say, well, you know, we're not trained firemen. (laughs) You can't fight a fire with that. All you have is a little plastic bucket. You're going to use the garden hose? You're going to get the kids involved? Listen, if the house is on fire, we do whatever is necessary. We use whatever means we have to fight that fire, don't we? Guess what, guys? The world is on fire. Spiritually speaking, people are jumping out of burning houses. Who's going to fight this fire? Who's going to go? In a big church like this, it's easy to say, well, there'd be somebody over there on that other section. Yeah, they'll go. No. If not us, then who? Famous quote. And if not now, when? Our pastor has challenged us to plant churches in D.C. over the next 10 years. One more in January, six more after that. One in every ward of the city. Why? Just for the exercise? No. Because there are young men on bridges praying. Amen. There are people in the grip of sin. There are people crying out for meaning, purpose, understanding. We're about to begin our 40th years, 40th year. Over the next number of years, the baton will be passed to succeeding generation. It's your turn. I ask this. May God interrupt or inconvenience you.
Or do you demand an angelic visit and all the planets to line up perfectly before you'll answer his call? Are you willing to take on the impractical? Are you willing to challenge the impossible? All because, not who you are, but because of who he is. For those who answer the master's call, guess what awaits? The incredible. Are you ready to go? Let's pray. Father, I pray for folks in this room online who have a call and they don't know it yet. You're going to interrupt them. You're going to inconvenience them. They're going to have to sacrifice something. Their life is going to be altered. It's going to be changed. But I pray, Father, this morning that they would catch the vision and the heart and that faith would enter their soul right now. And, Father, that they would say, yes, you can interrupt me. You're Lord. You are curious.